Welcome to the Premium Finance Show. Interviews and insights from industry professionals, helping you use financed insurance to provide tax-free withdrawals and extended estate protection. The Premium Finance Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, John McDonough. On today's episode of the Premium Finance Show podcast, we have Kevin Atkinson, president of Montpelier Advisors, and the discussion goes deep into captive insurance companies and why, as a business owner, if you don't already have one set up, you need to strongly consider why you need to set up an insurance agency of your own and the reasons behind it. All right, so welcome to the Premium Finance Show. On today, we today's show, we have Kevin Adkinson, president of Montpelier Advisors. Kevin, I'm going to read through your bio real quick, talk about you for a little bit, and then we'll get into the call that we have set up today talking about captive insured and captive insurance um, designs. I'm really excited about that, by the way. Yeah, Kevin Adkinson is the innovative leader of Montpelier. If there is a challenge to overcome or an opportunity to explore, Kevin either has the expertise or has access to the information and relationships to deliver results. Kind of sounds like what I say. Kevin is a firm believer in an integrated, coordinated, and focused approach to interdependent decisions and opportunities. Kevin has experienced key business cycles from startup to IPO, as well as divestitures to acquisition. He successfully counsels first-generation entrepreneurs through fifth-generation families and startup to middle market businesses. Kevin is honored to access, engage, and partner with world-class relationships and expertise. He leverages his experience and thought leadership in risk management, finance, family office, capital markets, and alternative investments. Kevin's prior leadership at KPMG as CFO and CEO, COO of early to expansion companies and as a principal with Keelpoint a multifamily office positioned him to launch Montpelier. Kevin and his wife, Christy, have two children and live in Annapolis, Maryland, and he's a graduate of James Madison University. Kevin, welcome to the Premium Finance Show. Thank you, John. So before we get started, so give our listeners um, a little bit of background about you. What is it that when you're not in business, what do you like to do for fun? What are your hobbies and what captures your interest? Well, John, thanks. You know, what's interesting is, is one, I, I love being around my family and, and, and I should have updated my bio. Now, my, uh, my oldest son just got married a little over a year and a half ago. And so I've ventured into that part of the world and very excited about that. And I love spending time with them. And part of that is I enjoy helping my son launch his new business as a 22-year-old, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. like to hang out with my wife and hang around the pool and love working in the yard. Giving up golf for a while, it just, you know, it just was too much time away from what I was trying to do. And, but, and I also am involved in uh, my uh, kids' school and, and do a lot there as a private school on the board and giving my time to young people. And so, kind of all over the map but uh, yeah but it sounds like family is front and center for you absolutely yeah that's awesome absolutely. Yeah. I, I can respect that a lot one thing 
I don't quite understand is how you give up golf, but I guess that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I knew you wouldn't. I, I knew you might be puzzled. <laughs> well, I must say there's multiple times in a round where I consider giving up golf, but for whatever reason, I keep coming back. But I, I respect the decision. It is, it is definitely a time commitment. So captives, right? So we're going to talk about a topic today that much like premium finance, many of our listeners, business owners, entrepreneurs, even attorneys, CPAs even may have heard of, but don't really know about and what they've heard. Maybe there's some confusion, some ambiguity, some um, maybe for lack of better verbiage, negative publicity. So First of all, from a 30,000 foot view, what is, what are captives on a, on a very global macro scale? What are captives? Great. I, that's a good question. And, and you're right, because the term captive is really a very broad term and it incorporates many different types of solutions. So, so kind of the term captive itself really is 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 key and that what it talks about is is that you're talking about an an insurance company that is specifically oriented to a quote unquote captive audience meaning it's not holding itself out to the marketplace so for example most people may not know that most of the large fortune thousand companies actually have their own insurance company they have a captive insurance company because they're large enough and then they will then in essence insure themselves and then they will access, for example, the reinsurance markets. And so most, because of their sophistication and depth of resources, they actually bypass many of the commercial carriers and kind of control it from that perspective. So when you say, I'll just keep bouncing in and out with you for a second. So when you say they create their own insurance company, that kind of sounds overwhelming as a business owner myself. And if I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the listeners. So when we think insurance, we think as a business owner, we have our, you know, PNC insurance, we have our E&O insurance, we have our workers comp insurance, we have health insurance. Are, are you saying that these Fortune 1,000 companies that have the expertise and the depth of resources, which means money, right? They have they, they start their own workers' comp company, their own health insurance company. Like, what does it mean to start their own insurance company? <clears throat> Literally, they, they actually form an entity, which is what's called a captive insurer, and that entity is licensed to... Uh, provide insurance for that business and it's owned by the business or owned by the owners of the company. And it's akin to, hey, at one level, I want to turn myself into uh, from being a renter to the owner of the building. Mm, Okay. All right. So they they form this entity and I'm assuming there's some legal procedures that have to take place to get it approved by the state that they're domiciled in, right? But they they form this entity. And is it instead of making premium payments to those big, huge national insurance companies, they make premium payments to themselves? Or how does that work? 
Yeah, and that gets back to the size. So, for example, as we're talking about the Fortune 1000, in many cases, it's really, you know, they may be basically paying the insurance to themselves, okay? Or, and then they will be accessing the the reinsurance markets, okay? But for, you know, kind of when you step back down to kind of middle market companies, you know, I know that as a solution provider, sometimes the answer of, well, it's all the above. But the reality is, is that it can be a way to make improvements to their existing commercial GL work comp auto, for example. It can act to not necessarily replace them, but supplement them or cover gaps or cover deductibles on those commercial policies. In some cases, it could be, you know, to replace them. But in many cases, it's more for middle market businesses. It's predominantly about ensuring the current risks that are actually self-insured by the business that aren't insured in the marketplace. And we'll get to those risks here in a second, because as we were having a conversation leading up to the podcast today, I told you I myself was blown away by some of the things that can potentially be insured. But coming back to the middle market, when you say middle market, I mean, it sounds like your your prospective client is the exact same as ours at Cool Springs. So we're, you know, I, t- I tell people all the time, we're in the s- small to middle market, you know, privately held, independently owned, family owned companies anywhere from you know, a million to 2 million of EBITDA or, you know, five to 10 million of top line revenue up to a couple hundred million. Is that kind of the market you're in as well? Absolutely. Okay. And when you say they could insure everything, but it could also be a hybrid model to fill the gaps. Are you saying that if they're paying premium payments for a particular insurance, let's call it workers comp or general health or whatever, that yes, they can still continue to hold on to that policy, but then also fund this new entity to fill the gaps in coverage that that policy doesn't provide. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and and kind of to think about it this way is is that the way I view it is is that these kind of insurable items fall into kind of three broad categories. So first of all, on your core PNC policies or health you're thinking of, am I insuring exclusions on insurance? Because when you get into insurance, as we just saw in particular with COVID, it's really about what's not covered as much as what it is covered. Mm. So you would cover exclusions on the commercial policies. You might cover sublimits, for example. Many policies will say, hey, we've got 2 million of general liability, but we're only covering you know, 150,000 of pollution. And so we might cover the excess above a sublimit. Or thirdly, and this is where improvements can happen, is is that, you know, especially, for example, in the general liability space, the general liability space is really hardened, is what they call it, where premiums are going up, coverage is staying, is, is not as good. And so you're saying, yeah, but I haven't had any claims. And so one of the things you can do is you can increase the amount of the first loss, i.e. the deductible, from 10000 to 100000 possibly. Reduce your commercial premiums and then have your insurance company fund if there's a loss on that deductible. 
So that's typically one area on the commercial policies. Second is, is that there are other policies that are available in the market that you may choose to have not purchased or you may choose for yourself. So for example, many private companies will not purchase directors and officers insurance unless mm-hmm. mandated. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they have that's a real risk. But they're thinking, why would I pay twenty or forty thousand dollars for a million dollars of coverage for directors and officers when it's just us, right? And but you can buy that insurance from your insurance company. Or you can buy cyber, for example, from your insurance company. So those are kind of products that are on the market that you say I may or may not want to buy them, but boy, if I could, in essence, buy them from myself, why wouldn't I consider doing that? And then the third area, and this can be especially for middle market companies, is called the true uninsurable risk, where they're so unique to your business, you know, they're just not available on the commercial market. And that's where you get into loss of key customers or relationships or supply chain disruption or COVID issues. Like all of our clients, my clients this past year, we were able to cover COVID issue losses that were not covered on their commercial insurance. And, and so when you think about it from a risk perspective, what you're really doing is you're saying, I'm going to look at my business differently and I'm going to now shift the dollars that I would want to normally put aside for risk, but I'm going to do those into an insurance company. And you say, well, why would I do that? Well, the reality is, is I'm a middle market company and I say, hey, I want to be a good steward of my business. And so I always want to have a million dollars of a rainy day fund around. Well, great. But when you put that million dollars around, you're putting it aside on an after-tax basis. When you have an insurance company, insurance companies are able to deduct reserves or set aside reserves so that when you want to have a million dollars available, well, you now can put it aside on a more tax advantage basis. And so you may not have to take up as much of your cash flow to do that. Let's come back to that in just a second. So I was on your website, MontpellierAdvisors.com. And one thing that struck, there were a couple things that stuck out to me, but two in particular. One is you have a top 15 list of captive coverage considerations. And I've got it in front of me right now. And I don't know if you have it or remember every single one Mm -hmm. of them. Okay. Can you walk through those? Because I think that would be very helpful to um, the listeners of our podcast that if any one of these or multiples of these stick out to them, they need to, and they'll get your contact information here in a second, but they need to reach out to you and schedule a, a conversation to talk about these because I was blown away that some of these are actually possible insured reasons. So you want to go through those for a second? Yeah, let me run through. Let me, let me pull it up real fast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, And by the way, really good website. Thanks. So I'll run through real quick. Administrative actions. These are where you have either fines or penalties due to or cost to defend yourself for administrative actions. So for example, those could be anywhere from OSHA or those kind of areas. Contingent business interruption. This was a big one due to COVID because businesses were interrupted because, for example, their supply chain 
was disrupted and they couldn't get product or they couldn't get materials needed for their business. And so they lost sales. And so they lost profit due to the shutdowns that were occurring. Cyber, which is, you know, very, very significant these days. Um, many of our clients with cyber now will purchase cyber insurance from the, from the commercial market, but we will cover this through an excess because the pricing has come down, but more and more, it's still about what's excluded in those policies. Deductible reimbursement. So for example, one of my clients is a large kind of aggregates company. And so they have a lot of vehicles. And so they're comfortable taking the first uh, $250,000 of a loss on if one of their cement trucks hurts somebody, right? And so they take that and they have a $250,000 deductible uh, on their auto liability. Well, we cover the first two fifty dollars through their insurance company because they're pre-funding a deductible reserve, if they need it, they've got it. If they don't, it's created extra profit for them. Mm. Express or implied warranties. This is a really big one where, you know, many times, especially in the contractor world, you know, you have, you know, you have an issue with the supplier material on your job. It's really the supplier was the material was at fault. But out of that relationship, you say, look, I've got to fix that because this is a key relationship for me. So you may have to spend $100,000 to fix a warranty or an implied warranty. And you normally don't have that type of exposure on a regular basis. And so you get insurance for it because let's step back. Insurance is about the unknown, the unexpected. Okay. So part of what you do is when you look at a business, you say, hey, what would you normally expect to occur in warranties? Oh, we spend $25,000 a year in warranty coverage. Great. So your policy will cover everything over 25 because that's everything you expect to do 25, but your insurance company will cover everything over 25 because insurance is about the unexpected, not what the expected is. Well, and as an aside, and we'll come back to these in just a second, but as an aside, that's why people, and I'm generalizing, of course, hate paying insurance premiums because as humans, we really don't anticipate these things happening to us. So we have this conflict that goes on between us internally, which is, I know it's prudent to provide insurance for these risks, but I really don't anticipate these risks happening. And then as a business owner, it becomes a very economic conversation or struggle, which is, am I really willing and able to pay these premium payments for cash, cash flow that I otherwise would need for business purposes or other things? And it becomes this, this tug of war from paying for insurance when we really don't like paying for things that we don't know are going to take place. Right? Well, absolutely. And I think the thing you've touched on there too, and this is the fun part for me, is, is that in diff all businesses are in a different stage, right, of their growth and sophistication and maturity, right? And so for many businesses, property and casualty insurance in particular is viewed more as a must-have. It's a product. I just pay for it, right? I have to have it. And it's they grit their teeth, okay, and they just write the checks, okay? Yep. And And then at some point, and then in particular, too, and this is 
I love insurance brokers, okay? They're, they're great people. At the same time, all insurance brokers are not created equal. And so part of the struggle for many businesses is, hey, is my insurance broker really now moving up the chain with me in my level of need and sophistication and access? And so there's this tug of war many times to, to even engage in a conversation about, well, should I, what else is out there, right? And so part of the mindset shift is, do I really want to look at this cost center a little differently? Do I want to make sure that I'm getting from the commercial market what I should be paying for? Mm. Should I be increasing my deductibles or retention levels on my commercial policies? Not, a, not you know, some brokers and advisors will focus on that. Some of them are really great at that. Others are not. And so there's a shift that has to occur or the opportunity is just to say, I want to start to look at this area now, not just as a cost center, but as a profit center. And ultimately, do I really want to look at this? Am I open to looking at this as really almost like a new business? Again, going back to do I want to become a, a business owner or do I want to be a renter, right? Yeah, you bet. Do I want to be, you know, and do I want to see this as an opportunity to really improve my business, improve the health of my business, and be much more intentional in it? You bet. So I'm looking here, litigation expense. As either a defendant or as a plaintiff, I can have funded my, this entity calling it an insurance company and it can help cover my litigation expenses? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, and that is one of my, that is a, that is a, a very important policy because most businesses, when you think of an issue that comes up, so you, and, and this is really important, right, is you will say, okay, well, first of all, when a suit comes up or when I get sued, then the first question is always, is it covered by my commercial insurance or not? Or my E&O. Or my E&O or something like that. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Well, make sure that it is. And if it is, great. If it's not, well, then the captive would cover that because it's some type of exclusion on the, the general liability. Okay. However, there are other litigation items that come up, and it, it could be as a plaintiff, where you say, hey, it's not covered anywhere, and I usually only spend about 10 grand a year, okay, on that, or 20 grand a year, or 100 grand a year for litigation, general litigation, or protect my business or not to defend it. And, um, and so, yeah, we'll ensure, put a policy in place that says, hey, if my litigation is over $10,000 per incident, because that's what I might incur on a regular basis, the insurance company covers it. I am fascinated by this. Okay, keep going on these, on these top 15. Sure. Leg legislative or regulatory change. So a great example here is tariffs. So... For example, you know, lumber tariffs went into place was it two years ago, I think it was. And so, right, exactly. And so if, for example, and see, this is an important piece too. The point of this is- You've said that on every single one of these, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, is, is that, the, that the, the point of this too is, is that, hey, 
if I have a long-term time to plan for something, that may not, and I don't plan for it, well, at the end of the day, that may or may not be an insurable item, right? But if there's a tariff that comes out, and in essence, and there's an immediate impact to you, and then you've got commitments, for example, that you already have sold a product based upon a prior pricing, for example, and now all of a sudden, because of this tariff, your your gross profits drop for the first six months after the tariff because the price of lumber goes through the roof because you make trusses or something like that. Okay, well, you can make a claim on the impact of that tariff on the incremental loss of your gross profit, but we're only going to do that for a certain period of time because you didn't have time to plan for that, in other words, to, to, to incorporate that into your business. That's fascinating. It's genuine, genuinely fascinating. So because, you know, lots of construction and general contractors fighting right now specifically with the cost of lumber and these raw materials. You know, yeah. you have other business owners that are, Amazon sellers and they're getting crushed because their products coming over from China with these tariffs and and this provides them the ability to cover that risk. Yeah. Outstanding. All right. The one that got me was loss of key customer. Can you explain that cuz I'm thinking of a friend in particular who owns a very successful business but 60% of his revenue is driven from one key client. Mm-hmm. So the key here is what is the reason that they lost the clients or the customer? Okay. If it's due to poor performance, sorry, bad business. Okay. That you can't insure. No. Okay. But, but the point is if there is a, let's say that you've been doing business with them. Okay. All of a sudden, they get acquired. New new ownership comes in and says, "We are basically, you know, canceling that relationship or significantly diminishing that relationship because of new management." Okay. The issue is, hey, and you therefore had, and it was kind of a surprise and immediate, right? It wasn't like, hey, you knew the merger was coming or the acquisition, and. They're going to give you a whole year to plan for it. Okay. Well, that's what you do in business. You plan for it. That would not necessarily be a, a covered risk. But if it's that surprise change in management, surprise merger, insolvency, or in some cases, a discontinuation, and it goes beyond that, of a certain product line. Okay. So is the theme that I'm picking up on, if you can plan for it, then, then, or it's just bad business, then that wouldn't fall under a quote unquote insurable risk. But anything that's unexpected, anything that is unexpected plus out of your control can potentially be an insured risk. Yes. And ultimately that can be, and this gets to be very important, is, is that the incident, okay, of what causes that is very importantly defined, okay, in the policy language. And then that secondly, that third-party actuaries can actually, which they can, can also quantify that 
risk and say, hey, for John, your friend's business, for that 60% customer, if he's going to buy a million dollars worth of coverage for that risk, then based on his unique business, he's going to pay $125,000 for a million dollars of coverage for one year for that risk should it occur. Okay. I'm making a note here. I want to come back and talk about the third-party actuary that you just brought up. But let's finish up these 15 points. So loss of key employee. Now it sounds like you're getting into the cool spring space because we do, you know, key employee insurance for death. Obviously, our clients finance those premiums. They don't write those premium checks out of pocket. But you're not talking about the death side. Is that right? Of loss of key employee? Typically not. So, and I and I should have mentioned this at the beginning. These policies are reimbursement policies, meaning you as a business incur a loss and your insurance company is reimbursing you, okay, or covering that. You're submitting a claim. Mm. So, for example, on a death benefit policy, right, the event is the death and then the loss is paid out. You don't have to substantiate that you had, you know, a, a, a need for the policy value to pay out. That no, we have to done. we have to stipulate that at the very beginning. At the very beginning, correct. But exactly. So here these are reimbursement policies, okay? And so when you get into a key employee, what we're looking at is how did the business suffer as a result of the loss of this key employee? Okay. And was this loss from this key employee measurable? Okay. So, and that comes into two, it kind of three areas. One would be, let's say that you lose a key salesperson. Okay. And that person is, and it's not voluntary because they resign, but they have an accidental death or they're out on a bike over the weekend. Right. And next thing you know, they're in the hospital for three months. You And so all of a sudden, because of that key salesperson or the contract person, your sales drop while they're out. Well, the lost profit potentially on those sales could be a covered item. Could it be? Because I actually had this happen yesterday. I have another friend who owns a pipeline business and one of his workers went down working on the pipeline, went to the hospital. Could it be for, for that purpose as well? I mean, yes. That's a disability or potential short-term disability for the employee, but for the owner, my friend, if that constrains his ability to perform the the, the job, could his could he insure that? Could that have been insurable potentially? Well, and and I'll yes, and and here's the, here's an example. One of my contractors had a very had as you point they had sixty percent of their business or fifty percent of their businesses with a core customer. On that customer, lots of different jobs. A a a key a key project manager, very senior in the company, had an accident. So what the company had to do was they had to fly and, and put two people on the job. Okay, to cover the one person's role, fly them, pay for them to be elsewhere, all kinds of cost, right? And so all of a sudden, the profit on that job suffered. It's getting right? cut, yeah. Did and so because that person was so key to them, okay? Yeah. 
man, this is a, this is just fascinating. I, I have another question, which we'll come back to later, but I'm going to ask it now, but don't answer it, which is why, why isn't this more widely talked about? And now I sound like the people that get exposed to cool springs and premium finance, well, you know, they always ask us, why isn't this more mainstream? But we'll come back to that here in a second. I, I really okay. do want to finish up these points. So loss of key supplier. Yeah, same thing here. So for example, again, this is change in, again, this unexpected change due to some type of either change of management, discontinuation of product line, um, business activity, you know, and so those types of things, you know, product recall, product recall, exactly. Reputational damage, you know, for business for loss of revenue or extra expenses, especially in dealing with PR or that type of thing due to a reputational incident. Hmm. Interesting. Whether or not the reputational damage was accurate or inaccurate that's irrespective it's it's correct it's just the fact that you lost revenue as a result of that happening correct wow how do you quantify such a thing well that goes into the third party actuary we'll come back to that correct. in a second mm -hmm. work stoppage was covid a work stoppage or what does that mean work stoppage yeah so for for many businesses it could absolutely work stoppage and so this gets back to a little bit of where does one's employees go to regular to go to work regularly, okay? Could be their manufacturing facility. So if your employees couldn't come to work because of COVID, or they chose not to come to work because of COVID, that could be an issue, right? Lost manufacturing profits. The other could be if your employees go to third-party job sites as a regular place for their business, they go there. And if all of a sudden job sites are shut down, they can't get there, they can't travel, and they can't do that work. And then you, especially if they're like an hourly billable kind of person, mm -hmm. or just something like that. Or, you know, contracts, for example, with state and local government paving contracts dried up because the state didn't want or didn't allow, right, people to be out on job. They didn't want their inspectors out. They didn't want that. And all of a sudden, your employees couldn't go to where they're supposed to work. And you had to cover the cost of those employees with that lost profit. Those are all examples, both COVID and non-COVID related. Yeah, I can think of non-COVID related. You know, I have, I have friends and clients that are subcontractors and they send crews out to different job sites daily. And then I have, you know, friends and clients that own staffing companies, both corporate and blue collar staffing companies that send mm -hmm. people out daily. That could very much be an issue for them. Okay. What about wrongful acts? What does that mean? Yeah. Wrongful acts is, is kind of viewed this as a, a very broad category. And it's what it's there for really is, is to cover wrongful acts asserted against you as a business for, you know, where due to negligence, right? Or due to actions of the business. And the reason this policy is here as a wrongful act is, is that it, first of all, does not duplicate what your commercial, for example, GL might cover, all right? It's there to say things that are not covered by an act asserted against you, but it can cover damages that come out of that that you have to settle on or defend yourself. It's very much of a catch-all, okay? 
for acts that people assert against you as a business that aren't covered somewhere else in all Got of your it. policies. Got it. So we're going through all of these and I'm a, I'm a business owner. I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, yes, that one hits me. That one hits me. That one hits me. How does this get quantified, Kevin? Sure. How does this, these risks, loss of key employee, loss of key customer, reputational damage, you know, work stoppage, litigation, all of these various risks that are, I have exposure to in my business, how does it get quantified, number one, and then how do I fund, how, how, do, I, how do I put money into this entity to protect these risks? Sure. So just as in, you know, your world, right, you know, ultimately there are actuarial experts, right, that are behind insurance policies, correct? Correct. And they use tons of data, okay? Same thing when you're going out and you're buying a commercial general liability policy. There are actuarial standards that stand behind the fact that, hey, your policy is you're paying X amount for that policy for risk, and then the insurance company is adding their profits, right, their margin, their GNA, or whatever that is on top of it to include your, uh, to, to, to calculate your premium. So also, when you also step back and go, well, you know, people heard of Lloyd's of London, right? And so mm-hmm. Lloyd's of London, they say, we'll insure anything, okay, <laughs> maybe, right? Or they, they thought. And so there is a whole body out there of, I'd call it actuarial, the world that will say, if we have enough data, we can calculate actuarially what the probability of a loss is and what that loss will, will uh, what a loss might be for that for a certain amount of coverage. And so in this world, there are actuaries that will look at the business and its unique attributes, its revenues, its cost, its its number of employees and all of these data points, and then they will use that information and then incorporate it into that whole this whole body of knowledge and actuarial standard methodologies to say, for your business to buy two million dollars of coverage for this line for one year, based upon what the policy says it will cover, then the premium for that is twenty thousand or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever it is. And that's very important because the strength and the integrity of this insurance is very much about what it is that it's insuring, what the policy say it's covering, and then is it actuarially sound? So this study, this is this study done every year or is it done just one time at the beginning of setting every up year. the every yep, year? Every okay. year. Okay. Yep. And who helps manage that? Is that where Montpelier comes in? You help manage that? You help bring all that to the table for the client? Yep. Bring all okay. that to the table for the client. There's there's a number of experts involved, just like in any business. And so where we sit is we are really the U.S. as the outsourced business office in a way, or your outsourced insurance office Okay. that then coordinates all of this to put it together, run it, and oversee it on the business owner's behalf. So if you're my outsourced insurance office, would you then help me go back to my GNL provider and help me negotiate lower rates potentially there? 
I wouldn't necessarily go in and help negotiate lower rates. What I would do is more make sure that, again, this goes back to the integrated model, right? That they're aware, if they aren't already aware, of what many solutions that are out there can be. Second of all, let's make sure that because of this, we're getting, they're getting, right, the best out of the commercial market. We don't try to go in and say that they're not, you know, getting, you know, not quoting or getting things quotes better or whatever. But what we will do is say, hey, are you, we'll ask the questions, right? Are you, have you checked into raising the retention levels? Have you looked, oh, well, that that carrier doesn't provide that. Well, are there other carriers that might, right? So it's a dialogue with the broker or the consultant if they're not already doing it. Understood. Understood. Now, what and our so, job is to come. My job is not to come in and and throw people under the bus or displace them. It's to say, hey, my job for the business owner is to make sure that he and or she or as a group are fully maximizing all of their opportunities, and then have them shine right as a part of that, as a collaborative partner, not as an adversary. Well, and that's what I want as a business owner. Really, this is this is not about feelings. This is about financials and making sure we're being as prudent as possible as we can be. So I really respect your statement on that. So two other questions. Well, more other questions, but two that are <laughs> in my head right now is, okay, so let's just say that the actuary comes back and says, all of my various risks that my company is exposed to is, you know, an exposure of X, I don't know, 2 million, 3 million, $5 million. And the premium on that is X, 100,000, just as a round number. What if I don't have the cash flow for the full $100,000? Do I not do anything or is it okay to do, ensure some of the risk? Like, how does that work if I don't have the cash flow? of the premium needed to fund this, this captive insurance design? Well, that goes back to, I mean, ultimately, if you don't have the cash flow, then probably not going to be available for you. So you have to do the full risk. So if the, no, 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 not necessarily. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. But, but the point is, is that this goes back to the characteristics of the business. They have to, at some will be, a certain amount of profitability, okay, and a certain amount of free cash flow to do this, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, but this gets back to ultimately what it is we're trying to achieve, right, and what it is that we're, okay? And so, and it also, if you view it as a staging effect, as you say, you know, I can't, Kevin, this is great, but I need more time to plan for this, right? I can see the future of this. Well, then what we do is we come in together and we design, well, what can we do now? Okay. okay. Which that's really answering my question is you scale back a little bit and or, ensure certain things, not everything. Or again, you go back and say, hey, if I can squeeze out appropriately X amount for my commercial premiums, right? Because I've improved, I haven't taken on necessarily any more risk or maybe I have a little bit more, but I've gotten enough bang for the buck that I say, hey, I can now start to use that in a different way. Well, let's talk about that for just a second, because that leads me to the other question that I had. 
I am frustrated as a business owner, like much of my our listeners and clients even, you know, we pay our GNL premiums, we pay our ENO premiums, we pay our DNO, all of these premiums that we pay. And it seems like, knock on wood, by the grace of God, years and years and years go by where I do not have to file a claim on those policies. Mm-hmm. But yet I'm still paying these darn premiums every single year. So I would imagine that I'm going to build this insurance company. And while I, yes, I may have some claims from an actuarial probability perspective, I'm probably not going to have many claims or often going to have claims. So what happens with those premium dollars that I've paid in Kevin that don't go used? Well, this is to the beauty of it. You have now set aside those dollars and accumulated those dollars in your other business which is called an insurance company. And you control those dollars. And they control grow. control them how? Well, from the fact that in other words, the fact that you are the owner of this business and they're an account that your business owns. Okay. And so when the risk has I'm I'm gonna use John's verbiage here, not proper captive insurance verbiage. So when the risk has expired, when there's no longer a tail on that premium, then as a business, as the owner of that insurance company, those leftover dollars, I can do whatever I want with? No, not necessarily. They're in a regulated insurance company. Okay. Okay. So they're there for various purposes. So one is you may use those reserves from prior exposures that have quote unquote, the tail has run off or there is, and you say now with that extra reserves, maybe I can take on more risk. Okay. First of all, how do I take on more exposures in the future years? So you still potentially use those as a, as a vehicle, right? To now as the balance sheet grows to take on more risk. Okay. So could they use those dollars, those leftover dollars, that growing balance sheet, could they use those dollars potentially as collateral for a Cool Springs design? (laughs) I knew you were going to ask me that. (laughs) Um, The answer is it's complicated, and I think the answer is maybe. But the the reason for that is, is that this gets into kind of the whole next level down of, well, what is the purpose of this insurance company? And one of the things we know is, is that regulators appropriately, hey, they need to make sure they have enough free and clear assets, right, to satisfy liabilities. So there may be ways to use that directly in the insurance company, or they may say, wait a minute, I've got a lot of these excess reserves. Maybe what I do is I loan them out in a way or set them aside outside of the insurance company to kind of cover my collateral requirements. Oh, I got you. So the captive okay. insurance can loan those excess dollars. I forget what you call the term. They can potentially sign up, create a loan to make those dollars available for the collateral, but yeah. they can't, they can't directly tie it to collateral. Yeah. We're still working on that. It, it's, it's, you know, and again, part of this gets to what is, and this is a whole other conversation, but there are, and I'll quickly go into this because I want to be careful about this for the folks that are out there listening to, yeah. is that this is a related party transaction. Okay. Think about it from that standpoint. This is a related business. Okay. And this gets into the tax world. And so 
the reality is, is very much importantly, that this insurance company is an insurance company. And whether this insurance company is writing, you know, $100 million a year of premium, like many of the Fortune companies, right, or receiving that amount of premium, or whether they're doing 500000 this is a ultimately a real insurance company that is regulated and should be viewed in that way, and it's not a bank account. Okay. Got it. Secondly, the in particular, understandably, and so captives fall into kind of broadly two categories, what's called a large captive, meaning, or a smaller captive. Okay. And that's important because in the tax code, there's a special provision for small middle market companies, in essence, to utilize this captive structure on a more tax advantage basis. And, and so many of the small captives that are out there may be only insuring or writing, they're receiving insurance of a million to two million dollars a year in premiums. And in that, the tax code allows them to make a special election such that the profits in that insurance company are excluded from tax. Got it. And they're taxed on the investment income. And, and so because of that, appropriately, there has been, uh, I'd call it, I don't know if the abuse is the word, but a, a, a fair amount of, at early on, maybe some people that just weren't doing it for the right purposes or weren't setting them up properly. And so doing them properly is very important because this is insurance and it's real, but you have to take in and understand that appropriately it has to be set up and run properly. And therefore, when you get into talk about, for example, collateral or loans or whatever, then you have to make sure it's done on an arm's length basis, right? That it's not impeding the value or the improvement, you know, the, the assets of the insurance company. And so it's not to be done necessarily lightly, but the point is, is that this is a business. And if you run it as a business and you stay within the guidelines, there's a lot of value that it can bring. Man, there's so many rabbit holes we can go down, but for the sake of time for our listeners. I know. That's I a mean, whole other conversation. I, so, I know. And I'm, and I'm just very intrigued by it. I, this is, this is fun stuff for me to talk about because this is practical and what we deal with every day with our clients at Cool Springs. Cause our clients are basically the same prospective clients that you're talking to and vice versa. So on that yeah. point, Kevin, you've had an opportunity to investigate and, and do some due diligence on the Cool Springs design because of what we just said, we have some crossover with clients mm -hmm. for the listeners. For the business owners, what sticks out about the Cool Springs design to you? What intrigues you by it? So what intrigues me about it is first going back to who I am and what you and I've talked about, right? And the whole, as you see what I'm involved in, it is a unique solution and very distinctive in the market, okay? And it also has, in, in, and also there are likely misconceptions about what it is or what it isn't. Okay. Yep. And so a, 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 a willingness to have a conversation about something that's a little bit out of the quote unquote norm or perceived to be sounds too good to be true, 
or all those things, right, resonates with me, okay? And, but as I've diligenced it, I go, wait a minute. Just like when I got into insurance over almost 10 years, this captive world 10 years ago, it's like, hey, if understood and if done, quote unquote, properly, right, with all the appropriate structures, then it can be an amazing tool potentially for a business owner or a strategy to incorporate into their business for retention, right? For talent uh, uh, reward, for, for, in my view, monetizing a business asset potentially before you have to get to the big liquidity event 10 or 20 years down the road because it allows you to access it and then also access it through a very um, cost-efficient cash flow structure, right, in order to do that. And, and, it, and the thing I love about it is, is, is like when the light bulb goes off and you see it go, wait a minute, I, I, I'm viewing things a little bit differently. That's intriguing to me. But the thing that drives me the most is, is that as well is, the amount of um, integrity that has gone into both the Cool Springs as a firm, right, and, and the quality of the relationships that are involved in it, it's not, I mean, these are named carriers, right? These are, you know, household names of the, the premium financing, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. not, it, it's not a, you know, it's not some, a few guys over in a corner pitching something, you know, that's going to get people in trouble. I I really appreciate your perspective on that. It's refreshing for me to hear because I feel like, you know, when I get in front of business owners and subsequently in front of their quote unquote advisors and their attorneys, it's, it, we're overcoming the, it sounds too good to be true. We're overcoming the preconce the preconceptions of people that have gone before us that have kind of bastardized what the design really is supposed to be and how it's supposed to work. And I feel like you fight those same uphill struggles every day. Every day. And, and for yeah. me, and I'm guessing for you, it's, it's that moment of cathartic clarity where they finally get, oh, this is what we're doing. This is how it works. This is how it's not what I thought it was. This is how it works. Is that is that your why? Is that why you've chosen to be in this industry of the captive space? Absolutely, and and it's it's the it's the coming. It's the it's it's the privilege role. Okay, it really is a privilege to be ultimately welcome and to sit inside the boardroom or sit inside or sit beside a business owner or a group. And to come alongside them and to um, help them and encourage them and to ultimately fulfill what they're trying to achieve and doing it in a way that is collaborative and it is respectful of the other advisors. And, and this goes back to, and I'll actually stop with this, but, you know, one of the light bulbs for me was I was so privileged when I went to go work for a multifamily office back in 2001 and 
that's when I went to the other side of wealth, right? Working with families that had anywhere from, you know, 20 million of net worth to a billion, okay? And our role was to, to help come alongside the business owner and or the family, whether it's first generation or fifth generation, and help them down this path. And in that, you were, you, you had a role to be both understanding of who they were as a family or as a business, then to vet strategies, solutions, protect them, and at the same time, respect relationships. And so one of the things that's really important, for example, for me, and I know for you, is, is that when I look at a business owner, part of the reason they've gotten to be where they are today is the relationships that got them there. Mm-hmm. And yet, sometimes those relationships are continuing to grow with them. Sometimes they may need to modify that relationship or keep that relationship, but maybe put it into another category or, or have right. them focus in a certain area. But that's how we all got to be where we are in many cases is because of relationships. And so to me, the importance also is understanding when you look at a cool spring is to say, hey, I'm coming into a business environment, but I understand you got to where you are because of relationships. And sometimes those have been great. Sometimes maybe you haven't, but that's your story. Now, how do we take all of that and go forward? I love and it. Can we create this opportunity for you? And this is the last piece is, is that, again, going back to, you're saying to a business owner, you have your business. Now, oh, wait a minute, maybe you have an insurance company, which is your another business. You never thought about being an insurance business. Or, oh, by the way, now if you start to think about almost like I almost kind of have this other little quote-unquote business, which is really just the value of my business, okay, that I'm using now as an asset to help me grow and protect and enhance both my personal balance sheet and my employees. And it's, it's part of that integrated solution, but it takes a willingness from a business owner, their core management, and their advisors to be willing to be in the room and go, okay, let's make this work, or let's figure out where it doesn't work. And that's okay, too. How do our listeners, well, let me step back. What's your process? So I'm a listener. I'm a business owner. I get someone to listen to this podcast, and they want to reach reach out to you. What's the process for them to number one, reach out to you. And then what's that initial meeting or two look like? Yeah. One, it all starts with a conversation, email or conversation, but it really starts with a conversation. They can give me a call. My cell phone is on the website and uh, start there. It always starts with a conversation or they can send me an email through the website. My email's on the website, but it first starts with education. And and what is the website? just so they can have it. Uh, yeah, it's www.montpelieradvisors.com. Awesome. And we'll have that listed at the bottom of the podcast right up as well so they can link straight to it. Kevin, thank you for the time today. I'm going to have you back on and we're going to go deeper <laughs> into some of these <laughs> rabbit holes. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for the time. Too, John. And, thank uh, you we'll, very we'll, much. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thanks. It. Bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at premiumfinanceshow.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at coolspringsfinancial.com. That's it for this episode. 
Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.